While Trump's doctors say that everything is going well and they may even discharge him tomorrow, you have many journalists speculating that Donald Trump is near his deathbed. I'm kind of exaggerating, but there are some people saying things must be worse than they're really letting on. Why would they give Donald Trump this medicine? Could it be that he's the president and they will spare no expense to keep him healthy? Well, outside of all the speculation, there's a bigger question. How will this impact the election? And based on the fact that you clicked this video, you probably already know because I put it in the title. Trump's polls have have not necessarily improved, but a new poll shows from the Doc- Democracy Institute shows that more people, that, that 19% of people polled say they are more likely to vote for Trump due to his COVID diagnosis. We can see from the likes of BuzzFeed and 538, when they say, how will Trump's positive COVID-19 test affect the election? I don't know. Yeah, okay. How about you wait for some polling? This is from the uh, from express.co.uk US election poll. Trump beating Biden despite being hospitalized with COVID exclusive. Donald Trump's illness with the coronavirus has not impacted his push to win a second term in the White House. An exclusive poll has revealed. While the poll does show that Trump is winning, it does show he's gone down a little bit, but it shows that many people are more likely to vote for him. So he is getting a boost among this group of people. I guess the best way I could break this poll down is that Trump probably was doing a bit worse than he was from the previous poll, but he's actually improved a little bit because of his COVID diagnosis. This is kind of just my analysis and opinion. So it very well could be wrong, which is why I'm going to show you a bunch of other data. Trump's approval rating right now is actually well above average for his presidency. Interesting and pretty good for the president. But much of the polls are showing that Joe Biden is winning. And you got to understand, as everyone goes out right now saying the polls were wrong in 2016, no, the polls were slightly off. The pundits were wrong. It is not looking good for Trump, even with one or two good polls. But I'm going to try and do my best to break down for you why it could be good news, why it might not be. And we'll cut through the noise and I'll give you an honest assessment about what this really means for Trump's chances. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There are many ways you can give. There is a P.O. box if you would like to send me stuff. But the best thing you can do, share this video. I'm going to do my best to give you a balanced view of what the polls really mean. And to be completely honest, it doesn't look very good for Donald Trump. But there is an argument that Trump is actually winning. In fact, this poll I'm going to show you claims that Trump is winning and that they're not doing these weird weighted polling games all the other polls are doing. And of course, like I mentioned, Donald Trump's approvals above average, but more importantly, his favorability is much better now than when he got elected in the first place which says something very interesting, at least according to Nate Silver of 538. If you think my assessment is rational and reasonable, please consider sharing this video. It's the best way for me to grow and compete with the likes of mainstream media. But also don't forget to like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, and let's read the news. Express says Trump is beating Biden despite being hospitalized with COVID. They say the monthly Democracy Institute Sunday Express poll for the presidential election shows that Mr. Trump is still on course for victory with 46% of the popu- of popular support compared to his Democrat rival Joe Biden's 45%. However, his overall lead has dropped by two points since the last poll in September. Well, let, let's figure out what's going on. The poll was completed after the news broke that President Trump and his wife Melania have been infected by COVID-19. But 68% said the illness would not affect their vote. 
while 19% said they were more likely to support Trump and only 13% were less likely. So let's stop for a second. What does that mean? They say Trump's lead dropped a little bit. It could be that in the midst of this month, okay, the first poll that comes out last month says Trump is doing really well, a two, two points higher than it is today. It drops down, but it probably would have been a lot lower if not for COVID because they say 68% say it won't affect their vote. 19% said they were more likely to support Trump. Only 13% said less likely. Thus, it seems that Trump did get a boost due to his COVID diagnosis. Almost two thirds said they felt sympathy and concern for the president, while 38% said him getting the disease was karma and an indication of the current divisive nature of U.S. politics. But only, only what is that, 38%? That means there's probably a lot of Democrats that are like, nah, I'm not playing that game. Crucially, Mr. Trump's lead in key swing states included Florida, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, remaining at 4% by 47% to 43%. That's really interesting. This gives a projected electoral college split of 320 to Trump and 218 to Biden. While other polls have Biden ahead, the Democracy Institute, which correctly predicted Brexit and Trump's win in 2016, only considers people who identify as likely voters rather than all registered voters, and also asks about the so-called shy vote. Interesting. The Democracy Institute is one of the polls that got Brexit right. Nobody thought Brexit was going to happen. For those that aren't familiar, that's when the UK voted to, to leave the European Union. Nobody thought that would happen. And it did. And then nobody thought Trump would win. And then it did. You see, the polls weren't wrong, sort of. They were off a little bit because they undercounted non-college educated white voters. But the pundits were wrong. It's really simple. When they looked at all the data, they said Hillary Clinton's got a lead in all of these categories. That means she's going to win all these states. Therefore, her chance of winning is 90 percent, 95 percent, 99 percent. But when the votes actually came in, it was only around 80,000 votes total across the country that gave Donald Trump his electoral college victory. Now, in my opinion, the conditions that got Donald Trump elected have only worsened. Thus, I do believe Trump is on track to win. And this makes sense to me. But it would be foolish to just ignore all of the data and pretend like Trump is in the lead. You better recognize, first and foremost, Trump can win. Absolutely. In fact, he may be favored to win. Of course, many of the polls, 538, say he's not. But we don't know for sure if we go by the data and 538 was fairly accurate. Well, then Joe Biden is going to win. So what this means is if you're a Trump voter or a Biden voter, whatever, you need to go and vote, period. Don't take my word for it. Don't take their word for it. Just go vote. Seriously. But let's read a little bit more. They say this shows that 77 percent of Trump supporters would not admit to friends or family members. Other controversies appear to have had little impact on the election with around eight in 10 voters saying that the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court has changed their position. Although Trump got more favorable support, 12%, than unfavorable, 9%. After a first bad-tempered debate in the election, 32% said Trump won, and 18% said Biden, but half thought it was a draw, and more than seven in 10 said it made no difference to how they would vote. I think it's fairly obvious. That's exactly right. It'll make no difference. But let me, let's, let's talk about some more data here. Take a look at this from Real Clear Politics. This isn't getting talked about enough. Donald Trump's approval rating took a hard dip. And this was uh, in, around July. Interestingly, it's just after the peak of the riots. 
with the rise of Black Lives Matter, Trump's approval rating was absolutely tanking and his disapproval was skyrocketing. But then things started to shift around the same time that support for Black Lives Matter began to plummet. And it has support for Black Lives Matter, according to civics polling, is lower now than it was last year, which is really bad. If they just stopped rioting, they would have beaten Trump easily, but they couldn't help themselves. Joe Biden's campaign staff started bailing these people out. Kamala Harris solicited donations to bail out the rioters, and the riots are continuing to this day. Over time, in the past month or two, Donald Trump's approval rating in the aggregate, I'm not talking about one poll, is now up to 45.3%, which is absolutely significant when you take a look at what his polling, his approval polling has been throughout his campaign. It's been in the low 40s, 43, 44, probably averaging around 42 or 43. As of right now, Trump's approval rating is back on course to what it has been. Now, as much as we can point out that Biden leads by 10 points as majority of Americans say Trump could have avoided coronavirus, we can take a look at these things. I want to show you this tweet. Seeing a lot of is 2020 really different from 2016? Trump could win the election, but the polling story is unquestionably different. Compared to Clinton, Biden consistently has had a lot more support and his lead has been far more steady. Take a look at this. This is a tweet comparing Hillary Clinton's support for Joe Biden's. At the time, as of right now, Hillary Clinton's support was awful. And Joe Biden's average in the national polls is actually substantially higher than than Hillary Clinton's was. And we can look at basically the same thing. This is average margin in national polls. Hillary Clinton is lower than where Joe Biden was suggesting. It is not 2016 all over again. The polls are favoring Biden. The averages are favoring Biden. But the bigger question will be who is actually going to win? 538 has the story. The real story of 2016. What reporters and lots of data geeks too missed about the election and what they're still getting wrong. This was written January 19th, 2017. And it basically talks about how the pundits and the forecasters made a big mistake, not the polling necessarily. Some polls were better than others. As we can see, the Democracy Institute poll that I showed you in the beginning predicted Brexit and it predicted Donald Trump's win. But the question I have is actually about favorability, not approval, because Nate Silver himself says in a tweet from Sean T at Real Care Politics, he said, New York Times Siena has Trump at 46% job approval, but getting 41% of the vote. Probably the most puzzling aspect of this election. Either these voters, A, are voting on Trump's personal characteristics, or B, are lying to pollsters or themselves. Nate Silver says he's net minus five on approval, but net minus nine on personal favorability in that poll. I think I've seen claims that favorability actually trends uh, to predict the horse race better. I haven't seen a whole lot of that, but it makes sense to me. Job approval, in my opinion, is relatively meaningless. I mean, I I, I don't know for sure which one is more important, but there's good arguments for and against. Take a look at this. Real clear politics trumps favorability. Right now, it's only 41.9%. Wait a minute. Donald Trump's aggregate approval rating is 45.3%. But his favorability is 41.9. Okay, that to me says a lot. There are a lot of people who don't like Trump, but approve of the job he's doing. And doesn't that make a whole lot of sense? 
that there's a lot of people, people like me that are like, why does Trump got to be a nasty potty mouth? That debate, not a big fan. I actually, I, I think Trump won it for a variety of reasons, but I was not particularly enthused by his performance. I think Trump has done a good job, but I don't necessarily view him all that favorably in this position. He's just the best we got right now. And, and, and as, as I often say, it really does come down, in my opinion, to the Middle Eastern peace deals, withdrawing our troops in the Middle East. You're, you're never going to argue that. It, you, you, I'm sorry, you can't. There's literally nothing anyone could say. You could come to me and say, but Tim, what about the economy? Don't care. I cannot have an argument about the economy while we are actively involved in unjust military incursions into foreign countries for 20 years. Sorry, Trump is solving that problem and he's bringing peace to other countries. So if you want to talk about you and what you want, we can have that conversation. And then I'm going to stop and say, yeah, it's too bad, though. Yeah, it's too bad that Joe Biden will continue the foreign policy of the Obama administration, which increased our footprint in the Middle East and helped exacerbate the deaths of civilians and other you know, women and children, men uh, in these countries. The first thing we have to do, in my opinion, is end the BS. And we can spend that money back home while Trump is doing it. By all means, say whatever you want to me, but I'm sorry. That is one of the most important things. But in terms of how people actually vote, I have to wonder, is favorability more important? I bring up the issue of foreign policy for one very specific reason. Barack Obama put a smile on his face and he wore a tan suit, which everyone freaked out about, as he told you everything you wanted to hear. America, we're going to do all these good things for you, says Obama. And with that smile and that charisma and that proud and bold leadership, which I absolutely believe Obama did present very, very well, he was blowing up kids. It's interesting to me when people say they didn't know this. I made a comment recently on Instagram talking to someone saying, I wish it were as simple as to say that Joe Biden would be better, but it's just not the case. Under the Obama administration, we were drone striking. They called him Obama, Obama-er, because he was blowing up people like crazy. I'm sorry, I don't want that back and I will not vote for it. But favorability is what's important. You see, Barack Obama signed the into law the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, indefinite detention provisions. This would allow the U.S. government to just like snatch somebody up anywhere in the world for any reason and then like rendition them on an offshore oil rig or something. Nobody cared. Barack Obama created the kids in cages. Nobody cared. I mean, the activists cared. Many of the anti-war left cared. Today, the resistance Democrats only care because it's Trump who's president, which says to me, favorability may be a better indicator of whether or not someone is going to win than approval rating or polling, in which case Donald Trump's favorability ain't that good. It's actually pretty bad. 41.9%. Yikes. That must be really bad news for Trump, right? No, actually, it's not. You know why? Because when Trump got elected back in early November, his favorability was like, my, was, here we go. Where's the actual number? It's kind of hard to get to. November 9th. Yeah. Plus, uh, unfavorable plus 21 with a total favorability of 37.5. <laughs> Trump's favorability was 37.5. Hillary Clinton, what was her favorability at? Now, it still could be bad news because I believe Joe Biden's favorability is actually like 45 or so percent. I don't think I have the numbers pulled up because the aggregate is what you want to look at. But if we're just going off of Trump, then I think people see in Trump something more important. While the polls weren't necessarily wrong, they were wrong a little bit. 
It was the punditry that was wrong. Maybe we've entered this new space, this new era where people might say, I just don't care anymore. Remember when Trump said that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and he'd still get elected? Maybe that's true because Trump is speaking to the American people in a way where they're like, why does it have to be Trump? I got to be honest with you guys. I know a lot of people that are that don't like that Donald Trump speaks the way he does. I know a lot of people who do like that he speaks this way. There are a lot of people that see Trump insulting the press and calling them out and calling them fake news, and they feel like they finally have someone on their side pushing back. Then I see a lot of people are like, I don't like that he does this, but he's the economy, stupid. I'll tell you what. I don't like the way Trump acts. I do, listen, I think Trump's funny. I think what he says is funny. And I laugh when he says these things on TV. But that's not what I would vote for. But with Donald Trump's historic peace agreements, it's done. You cannot argue against that. There's nothing. There's literally nothing. Oh, I'm sorry. You're, you're upset because your wages aren't increasing. Uh, I'm mad that Obama bombed children. I'm mad that Donald Trump did too earlier in his first term when he had morons like John Bolton in his administration. But over the past couple of years, Trump has worked really, really hard to bring about peace. And of course, the military industrial complex, the variety of contractors and other companies aren't too happy about it. And the elites who have fomented this crony class of arms dealing aren't happy about it either. I'm not happy that Trump fired 59 Tomahawk missiles into Syria, and I'm not happy that he engaged in drone strikes. But I'm sorry. If you want to come to me and complain about your wages, your salaries, your social issues, I'll say, wow, it's too bad that Joe Biden would continue the horrific foreign policy of the Obama administration. If this is what you give me, then too bad. I know what I'm going to vote for. And there's nothing you can say to stop it because these peace agreements are too important. They are too important for the world. There's a lot of people who are nationalists who argue that Trump is going to bring back manufacturing and do these good things for the country. That's a good point. I like those things, too. And then the left talks about their social issues and Trump is a crony and he's appointing his kids. Yeah, well, listen, I'm not a staunch nationalist. I'm not. My concern is for the planet and for the planet. We need peace. We also need someone who's going to be tough on China. That is not Joe Biden. So when I look at favorability, maybe it mattered last time. Maybe Hillary Clinton's favorability was just way worse. It doesn't matter to me right now. To me, what matters now is whether or not Trump is going to do the right thing. And let me tell you, Trump's approval rating around the time that he actually got elected, they don't, they don't actually show it, but when he started his, his term, was actually uh, 44.3. January 27th, I believe, is the first day they have Trump. He was inaugurated on the 20th. Donald Trump's approval rating is higher now than when he was first inaugurated. His favorability now is higher than when he won the election. That may mean Trump is on track to win. Now, the polling shows Biden is being favored. But according to Express and the Democracy Institute, it won't matter. I'm interested to see if, if COVID is going to have a long-term beneficial effect for the president. You know, some people talk about there's a sympathy uh, effect, that when people see the president is fighting and, and, he, and, he's, and he's injured or in some way negatively impacted while on the job, they start to root for him, hoping he gets better. I think we may actually see something like that. One of the questions that I think, however, needs to be asked is asked by Glenn Greenwald. Why are Democrats praying for the speedy recovery of a fascist dictator? This made me laugh out loud. Glenn Greenwald's best question. It's, a, it's just the best question ever. Yeah. If the Democrats are saying Donald Trump is a fascist dictator, how come so many are coming out saying, well, we wish him a speedy recovery? 
Glenn writes, people typically rejoice, not lament the suffering and death of someone they genuinely believe is a fascist dictator. The typical reaction to the death of a tyrant, whether by revolutionary violence or natural causes, is not one of lament and sadness, but joyous celebration. It is not hard to understand why. When a nation and its oppressed citizenry have finally li- are finally liberated from the suffocating, savage grip of fascist dictatorship, they feel joy for themselves, their families, and the future of their nation. That is the same reason people have always hoped for or worked toward the death of despots. They want to rid themselves of those who impose tyranny on them. Well, I will point out, there are many leftists that are celebrating and cheering, and Twitter announced they're going to ban them. They say when Romanians learned in 1989 of the summary execution of their despised dictator Nicolae Shushu, I can't pronounce that, Kosicu, residents took to the streets to celebrate the downfall of the dictator. In 06, many Chileans celebrated the death of the dictator, of, of dictator Augusto Pinochet as a cacophony of horns sounded as hundreds of thousands took to the streets and plazas across the country. When it was announced, the man who ruled ruthlessly for 17 years had died at age 91, a week after suffering a heart attack. Cuban dictator Fidel Castro was dead, so celebrate we will, read a 2016 South Florida Sun Sentinel op-ed by a Cuban-American who appeared to genuinely believe that Castro was a vicious dictator, and thus expressed the natural normal reaction of someone who believes a country has been freed from the grip of a despot. So typical is this reaction to the death of a leader perceived as a dictator that history is replete with countless similar examples over many decades and across the world. Yet in the U.S., a radically different dynamic is playing out. Over the past several years, but particularly in the months heading into the 2020 election, it has become extremely common for prominent Democrats and their media allies to refer to President Trump as a dictator, a fascist, a tyrant hellbent on destroying U.S. democracy. And yet the overwhelming reaction in those mainstream precincts to the news the fascist dictator has contracted a potentially lethal virus is to hope and pray that he makes a speedy recovery whereby he can resume his democracy-destroying, genocidal, tyrannical, fascist rule. <laughs> Bravo, Glenn. It is, a, it is beautifully put. Yeah, I, I wonder why this is. He goes on to mention Rachel Maddow began. <laughs> okay, okay. Rachel Maddow tweeted that she, you know, she was wishing the best for the president and the first lady, but she spent years accusing Trump of being a subversive, treasonous Russian agent. What? It's all for show. It's all for show. It's not real. This is the game. This is the game of politics. The shenanigans, the tomfoolery, they actually just don't believe what they're saying. You know, uh, Glenn Greenwald goes on to give some explanations. He says, there are a few potential explanations that may account for this extremely unusual and confounding behavior of praying for rather than against the well-being of a fascist dictator. Perhaps Democratic leaders are simply pretending to be hoping for Trump's well-being for political purposes while secretly hoping that he suffers and dies. Or perhaps national Democratic politicians have ascended to a state of spiritual elevation, rarely seen in modern political history, in which they are capable of praying for even those they most dislike, including ones they believe are imposing fascism on their nation. Or perhaps maybe more likely Democratic leaders do not really believe the things they have spent four years saying about Trump and like George W. Bush and Dick Cheney before him are applying such labels of historic evil to him for political advantage, but still see him as one of them whom they intend to rehabilitate and honor once he is out of power. Absolutely cozying up to George W. Bush, who got us into these awful wars in the first place, sitting next to him, sharing candy and laughing. 
There were several polls that came out that show that Democrats view George W. Bush more favorably than Trump. I'm sorry. These people have lost the plot completely. And that's why I think Donald Trump needs to win, mostly because we need to see it through. These wars are ended, that we get the peace we've so hoped for and that he continues to strive for peace with many of these nations, notably Russia, North Korea, for instance, and challenges China on their horrific human rights abuses and their exploitation of us, our land, our businesses, our manufacturing base. There's a lot of reasons why Trump needs to win, even if it does mean we have a potty mouth president who makes us look really bad. Now, whether or not anyone cares we look bad is a bigger question. But I agree with Glenn Greenwald. I think that the Democrats don't really believe what they're saying. And I think the American people know this as well. But I have to wonder, is the Sun, is the uh, Sunday Express poll correct? They predicted Trump the first time. Rasmussen was correct as well. And they're showing that Trump is not doing so bad. Rasmussen in aggregate right now has Donald Trump at minus seven. I mean, that's actually kind of bad. 46 to 53. But the bigger question is whether or not people will actually come out to vote. I don't think they will. I really do not think they will. I see so many people I know that are going to stay home. And that's one of the reasons they want mail-in voting so bad. It's just making it as easy as possible for people who don't care to vote. It's also going to give them the opportunity to, you know, cheat. But I guess we'll see how things play out. Donald Trump appears to be making some approval gains, favorability gains, and polling gains amid his COVID diagnosis. That will make things very interesting. Maybe Trump will take a turn for the worse. People will gasp and then Trump will survive. He'll come out looking better and he will thank the American people and the sympathy vote will help him. That seems to be the trajectory we're on right now, but I guess we can only wait and see, as I often say. So I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. The next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. And I will see you all then. I want to believe that people in this country are going to stand up on November 3rd and vote out the Democrats that have allowed this insanity to ensue, that have destroyed our economy and then encourage riots and destruction. I want to believe it. But I'm not entirely convinced. I know there's a lot of people that I see posts all the time and everyone's trying to make it seem like my side is going to win. I see progressives say Trump is so underwater that he's never going to win because people hate Trump. And then you see Trump supporters saying quite the opposite, that the silent majority will rise up. There's good reasons to believe both, I suppose. The weird thing to me is how people say the polls are all wrong. They were wrong by a few points in 2016 because they undercounted non-college educated whites. Well, these polling companies say they've updated or these institutions say they've updated the way they do polls. And now Joe Biden's really, really winning. And the media has been just inundating all of uh, the people in this country and honestly, the world with fake news. The lead story that I'm going to be talking about is just we have more riots. Protesters arrested after graffiti dispersal order and explosives thrown towards officer officers in Seattle. Yeah, in Portland, they held a vigil for the Antifa terrorist who stalked and executed a Trump supporter. Where is the outrage? So I hope I wish I am. I am. I am. I, I hope that come November 3rd, we just see this country like, you know, Reagan, like like, like the 80s. Every single state going red saying enough of this. And the scary thing about it is I'm not even I'm not even on board with I don't like Republicans, 
I'm not on board. I, I, I mean that as the, the, the Republicans in name only for the most part. Like the Republicans and Democrats are all the same garbage to me. There's very few people uh, in government that I actually think are doing a good job. The bigger concern I have is how the Democrats have entertained and lied about and defended this. We're not just seeing riots in Seattle. We're actually seeing a vigil for Michael Reinold. And we're seeing something truly, truly amazing. The New York Times writing a puff piece, which in and uh, it's just, you know what, man? Remember the austere scholar thing? For those that aren't familiar, El Baghdadi, one of the most notorious and evil men to ever exist in uh, on this planet. He was the leader of ISIS. Well, he got killed. And the Washington Post called him an austere religious scholar instead of a depraved lunatic who abused and enslaved women and a terrorist. And now we're getting our version of that here in the U.S. A mentally ill man, a heavily armed teenager, and the night Kenosha burned, cast by conservatives as a battle between Antifa agitators and a right wing patriot. This summer's deadliest protest related incident was not quite what it seemed. I read this. This is a story about the three people who got shot in Kenosha. And surprisingly, you know, one of these guys, Rosenbaum, was convicted of abusing children in very extreme ways. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that the New York Times actually wrote a, a, a profile of them in, in, the, in the same vein as the austere religious scholar. You know, I noticed in this article from the New York Times, I'm sorry, from the Washington Post, there is there's no profile on Kyle Rittenhouse. In fact, they cover up so much information and don't inform their readers to the point where in the comments, people don't even know what Kyle Rittenhouse was doing or why. Now, in this article, there is some you know information that at least gives people a general understanding of what really went down that day. One of the comments in this article says, I don't understand. Based on what you've written, Kyle Rittenhouse only responded to being attacked. What they don't tell you is that according to witnesses, and these statements have been put out over and over again, these extremists that were on the ground starting fires and and destroying property and businesses were pushing a dumpster toward a gas station. They actually say in this article, there's a point where they say it is unclear why they were mad at Rittenhouse, though a a video from their lawyer suggests they were confusing him with someone else they were mad at. You want to know why they were mad at Rittenhouse? Because there's a video showing them pushing a dumpster in, in flames towards a gas station, which could blow up and kill people. And some one of these Kenosha guys, the Kenosha guard, put the fire out. There's another video showing Kyle Rittenhouse running on the street with a fire extinguisher and his gun. And uh, Rittenhouse's lawyer suggests that he, uh, uh, Rittenhouse was seeking to put fires out and that they confused him for this other guy. And so Rosenbaum, a convicted child abuser, and that's putting it lightly because I'm trying to keep this a little bit family friendly, chased him down. They even mentioned he attacked and reached for the gun. What's what? Then we get into the story of this Anthony uh, Huber guy. Now, some people are claiming that Huber, he's the other guy who got shot. He got shot in the chest and died. They're claiming that he's like a far left commie, a terrorist or whatever. None, none of that's true. I wouldn't call Anthony Huber. Uh, I believe his name is Anthony Huber. I wouldn't call him a hero 
Of course, a lot of people in the area are like spray painting his name and writing, you know, vigils and stuff. He's not a hero because he ran towards someone being attacked and tried to take their gun from him. But he wasn't a terrorist because he saw a guy with a gun and, and, and thought he would take his gun from him. Uh, there, there, there's nuance in these circumstances. Now, these people who are going around and joining the riots and smashing things up. Yeah, that's terror. At this point, it, it, it's it's overt because let, 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 let me let me put it this way. It took me a little while to find this story about the Seattle riots, and I got really, really angry. OK, the riots have been going on now for one hundred and twenty nine days, and it's to the point where it's not even a front page story anymore. They don't care anymore. Antifa has normalized this to the point where they're not being called out. But I hear it every day. You know, people are uh, are fleeing these cities. Downtown Portland is boarded up. There was a knife attack in Portland as well. When I saw the tweets from Andy No talking about these people showing up and, and, and you know, in, in Seattle and destroying things, they, they threw rocks through a Starbucks window and then threw explosives through it. They threw them at police and things like that. I was like, wow, I got I got to read about this. This is this is important information. And I, I, I looked and all of the Pacific Northwest news sites, none of them had a story about it. And that was weird. Kiro seven did. They did. And but but this is <laughs> this is from last night. It was uh, updated at 945 uh, p.m. Nine, I'm sorry, 954. So I don't even know if it actually covers the bulk of the chaos that ensued last night. I don't know. They just don't care anymore. They've normalized it. And while this is all still going on, and many of us aren't paying attention anymore, we get stories like this. We get stories like this. A mentally ill man. That's why he was trying to blow up a gas station. Well, yeah, I agree with that. But it's not an excuse. And I wouldn't frame it that way. I would say a terrorist. A terrorist and a heavily armed teenager. I mean, that's probably fair to call Kyle Rittenhouse heavily armed, although it's not actually not really fair. Heavily armed. Well, he had one rifle. But this is what's been going on. And they're, you know, when I saw that they were, they were doing a vigil for Michael Reinhold, that's when I really thought, that's the escalation, man. When these people can go out, they're terrorists, and they can venerate an individual who, who, who stalked a Trump supporter and put two bullets in his chest. That guy's a hero to them. That guy is a hero to them. Is the media writing about uh, how he's evil and a terrorist? Are they calling him an evil white supremacist who crossed state lines armed with guns? Of course not. Kyle Rittenhouse, however, a lifeguard, 17, who went out because it was the third night of rioting and wanted to defend a local business as he was asked to, at least according to, that's what his lawyers say happened. He's, uh, uh, he's a white supremacist. He's a terrorist. And that's, it's just, the escalation is to that point. It, 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 and the, this is what I was worried about several months ago. They're normalizing it and we can't allow that to happen. But I think it's too late. I think it happened. The fact that they won't even write a story about it, it shows people don't care anymore. They don't. We're desensitized. And so I actually thought about this. There's, a, there's another story about uh, Boeing leaving Washington for a variety of reasons, notably COVID. And I was like, oh, there's there, you know, there's a process story. There's like an industry market story. Then we have Donald Trump, of course. He's been sick, and a bunch of Trump supporters showed up the other day in a flash mob in support of Trump uh, in Washington, D.C., and some far leftists, you know, tried crashing and attacking it. And I thought to myself, I'm like, but the riots, but there's people rioting and smashing and destroying. And I was like, but what do I say? 
what do I what do I tell you about what's going on? I'll read the story in a second because I should probably at least show you that. But they're having vigils for the terrorists and the New York Times defending these people. And then we see this SUV plows into Black Lives Matter protesters on their bicycles blocking Fifth Avenue in Manhattan before driver flees. This kind of stuff just keeps happening. And nobody cares, I guess. I mean, I, I'm sure to an extent some people do care. But I think, you know, Trump right now is dominating the news cycle. And that's the weirdest thing to me. You pull up uh, any news site and it's like Trump, 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 Trump. And I'm like, there's there's fires, there's death, there's destruction, there's chaos. And it's not relevant to the average person right now. You know, Trump being sick in the hospital, apparently Trump's bored and he's feeling fine. And I see all these stories. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I supposed to say about this? The funny, the funny tweet I saw the other day was from an ABC News reporter that Trump is reportedly bored. And I'm like, I started laughing. I'm like, yep, because he's, he's in a hospital. He's going to be fine. We've, we've really figured out the best way to treat COVID. And he's just sitting there. And then all the conspiracy theories start flying around. And I'm like, is this what people really care about? As our cities and streets burn, as terrorists get vigils and the New York Times defends extremists who would have blown up a gas station. I wonder what's the point? To all the people who went out in Kenosha and said, we're going to stop the violence. It just made everything worse. I mean, in a lot of ways. And I'll tell you why. Now you've got the media defending these people. You've got the media writing these puff pieces and framing things as though the Kenosha Guard were the bad guys when they're just locals. It's Kenosha, you know, it's just on the border, just near the border of, uh, of Illinois, Wisconsin. Because of what the Kenosha Guard did, in stopping these extremists. They're the villains. And now the narrative can, has swung in the other direction. There were only two real outcomes. Here's the problem. What would have happened if the extremists in Kenosha, if Rosenbaum and, and Huber and, 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 and the like, had succeeded in blowing up that gas station? I wonder if anyone would have cared. I really do. Because we've seen gas stations burnt down and blown up before. And we see ongoing protests and riots, even to this day, and no one cares anymore. And so think about what that really means. If we have these protests, you know, nonstop unrest, protests, unrest and riots, I mean, quite literally all three. And we're at a point now where the news just doesn't think it's relevant. And we're seeing stories on an SUV plowing into Black Lives Matter protesters. Why? Because it's too dangerous to stop. Now, in, in, in this story, however, the guy goes from a, behind a bunch of people on bikes and then like crashes into them. That was ridiculous. That just seems like a car accident, to be completely honest. But we've seen these stories. There was a story the other day I talked about where a beat cop, a regular cop, was just standing. You know, he was like he pulled someone over and the mob showed up, harasses him and the driver flees. Lawlessness. And I'm like, why is that? This is crazy. You have vigilante mobs of leftists disrupting routine police work. Where's the news? Nowhere. So what would have happened in Kenosha if the Kenosha Guard never showed up? Gas station would have blown up. People would be dead. And they'd say, who cares? Kyle Rittenhouse, however, and many other uh, individuals show up and say, we're not going to let that happen here. So what happens? Ooh, I know. Juicy story about far right white supremacists. And that's the game they play. The media is killing this nation. They are, they, it, 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 is, it is destroying this nation. You have to choose to cover the stories that are important, but they don't. They choose the stories that they think will generate attention and get them clicks. So what did we get all last night? Psychotic, psychotic, absolutely psychotic BS 
about Trump and his heart was failing. And, you know, uh, that's an exaggeration by you. But they were saying Trump is in very serious condition. One guy with, with like 200,000 followers, a verified Twitter fo- account saying, you know, the, the, the GOP is saying it could go either way. They're, they're going to lose Trump. They're terrified. It's 50-50. No, it's not. Trump posted videos like feeling good. He talked for four minutes uninterrupted. These people are ridiculous. And you get these anonymous sources. They still don't know who said what. I'm just so sick of what, what they're doing to this country. The fake news, the enemy of the people. I think maybe Trump was a little early in, in when he called the, the, the fake news the enemy of the people in that at the time when things were starting to, you know, they were gradually getting crazier and crazier. What happens is this. You have Republicans, conservatives, Donald Trump. The news they see about themselves is wrong. But the news many others see about their communities and themselves is still OK. So when Trump says the fake news, the average person's like, what do you mean? Like, I just read the news the other day about like, you know, a, a, a water main breaking and that that was fine. And there was an issue with the governor and that was fine. But it's spreading. I remember when, um, you know, people say uh, of me, Tim Pool, slowest red pill ever. And I'm like, no, 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 hold on. When Gamergate started, it was like one of the one of the biggest. Uh, if you're not familiar, it was just the beginning of the culture war for the most part. It was like the first major battle fought online. And the media went nuts. These these clickbait venture capital funded blogs are writing a bunch of fake garbage about about people. And it was just considered to be fact because the funded company said it's ridiculous. There's no vetting. There's no fact checking. At the time, many of these people involved in the gaming community said this is what's happening. And they viewed others as being blue pilled or not realizing what's going on. So even though I could say, hey, the media's lying, they'd say, Tim's too slow, you know, and, and slowest red pill. No, here's what really happened. As the, the insanity of the far left and the woke left continues to spread and infect more industries, and the news media continually hires more and more of these people, we see just how bad things are truly getting. So maybe you will say something like, you've been aware of this since 2010, but it's probably because something you you know of and you're involved in was infected with this 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 fake news and woke mind virus. Now we're at a point where it's reached the, the highest levels. Every single outlet. We're at the point where instead of telling us that there's ongoing riots and the riots won't stop, instead of asking the politicians why won't you stop the riots, they need to be shut down. What do we get? Donald Trump panic at the White House when there's nothing to back that up. Some doctors came out and said Trump was feeling fine. And they, they, they apparently misspoke, they say, used the wrong uh, time. Uh, uh, they, they said 48 hours and 72 instead of the third day and the second day. And this led to the media screaming, oh, Trump, Trump, Trump's going to die. And it's just like, but nothing's happening. Trump posted a video. He's fine. Why won't they tell us what's going on with the chaos in our streets? Why won't they be honest about what happened in Kenosha? Because that's not what the news is all about. What, the, what, the, what, what their goal is, uh, is, to, is to make money. And so uh, here's how I imagine a story like this went down. The, mentally, the, the Washington Post story about uh, Kenosha. They wanted to write an in-depth review of how everything happened in Kenosha. They probably had an ed- editorial meeting and said, well, our audience leans left, so I don't defend Kyle Rittenhouse. Frame it as conservatives casting this battle. I'm not a conservative and I've never been. And here I am saying the Republicans need to win. Is that not a red flag for any of these people? No, they don't care. They should ignore it. Why? Because they're squeezing. Uh, they're trying. What, what is it saying? They want to squeeze blood out of a turnip. They are squeezing as hard as possible to try and get everything they can 
out of the left. And it's driving the left insane. And what's happening is regular Americans are walking away. They walk away. And what do we see from that? I don't know if you follow Brandon Strzok, the founder of the walkaway campaign. One news outlet called him, I think it may, may, may have been CBS, called walkaway a white supremacist. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was The Sun. It was The Sun. Sorry, CBS. The Sun called walkaway a white supremacist group or something like that. What? <laughs> it's just, that's how insane these people are. Insane enough to read, to write this whole big thing about the, the, the innocent, well, I shouldn't say innocent, about, about the, the sympathetic figures and what they were doing and what they wanted to do. It's crazy that they would say that Rosenbaum and Huber, you know, uh, I want to clarify about Huber, what I was saying in the beginning, that, uh, just being there on the ground doesn't imply intent is what I was trying to say. I'm sure I don't know, a lot, a lot of people probably got mad, but you can see in the video, Huber and Rosenbaum are yelling at the Kenosha guard. And they try to make it seem like Huber was trying to de-escalate the conflict. And that's not what it looks like. It just looks like a mob of people yelling at each other. I don't know who is trying to do what. The fact that they would write this puff piece, but more importantly, the fact that they would not include the story of Kyle Rittenhouse shows you what their intent is. There's not just three people in this story. There's more than that. The fact that they wouldn't tell you who Richie McGinnis is. They mention him, a reporter for the conservative Daily Caller. Who was, who was the first person to provide aid to Rosenbaum as he laid dying. Where's his quote? Where's his profile? They didn't, they didn't seek it out because their goal is just to pander to the woke. Many of you probably heard me tell this story before, but it's important uh, in, in this context. When I worked for Fusion, they told me, side with the audience. And so I asked if that means to the president of the company himself, does that mean if there's a factual news story, that would be offensive to our audience. We don't report it. And he said, yeah, I think that's fair. Okay. Here's what that means. You have a situation in front of you. You have a proud boy and you have Antifa. Antifa throws a rock and hits the proud boy in the face. We don't report that. That would be offensive to our audience. The proud boy gets up. And as he is, the Antifa guy pulls out a club and goes to swing. So the proud boy winds up and punches the Antifa guy in the face. That we do report. So what does the audience see? The only thing they see is a proud boy charging Antifa and punching him in the face. Now, that, that, I'm not saying that's, that's, that's an entirely hypothetical situation. What I'm saying is this story right here is exactly it. If Kyle Rittenhouse was a lifeguard working in Kenosha that day and a friend gave him a gun and then a business owner asked them to come in and stand guard and, and, and help. And his intention, as stated on video, was to provide medical assistance. And he did to several of the injured uh, unresters, call them unresters, like civil unrest. Uh, we wouldn't report it. That's that's what I was told. We don't report that. And that's exactly what The Washington Post has done. Side with the audience. It is how they lie to you. It's how they manipulate. And I'm surprised the story even came out. The greater context of what happened is complicated. And it always is. So what do we get? The media is lying to everybody. That's why I'm not convinced Trump is going to win. And that's why I'm worried the extremists will be handed carte blanche. Joe Biden, he's not going to do anything about it. Once these once he wins, these people know they can get Joe Biden to do whatever they want. And then they're going to demand that he give us these things. And the violent riots will be replaced by the authoritarian morality police. Instead of having to show up and throw a brick through a window, they'll show up and just terrorize with threats. It's very simple. After a sustained period 
of rioting, destruction, murder, people get scared. Then they no longer need to go stalk and kill people like Michael Reinhold did. Then they can just go and say, you know what happens if you defy us. And then their president is in office. (laughs) Now, look, when I say their president, I'm not saying they like Joe Biden. They don't. But they've said, many of the activists have said, it's easier to overthrow a feeble old man than a fascist. Now, Trump's obviously not a fascist, but Trump is substantially stronger and he's not backing down. The deputized police are making arrests and the city is, is these, these leftists are panicking. Stop, stop. The feds shouldn't be. Nope. Sorry. Too bad. You've lost control. You've lost control because you gave you, you gave up to these people on purpose because you're aligned with them. You want them to destroy things. I'm worried about what happens if the Democrats win. And I think there's a strong possibility they do. Unless, of course, you go out and do everything in your power to canvas and explain to people what's going on in these streets. I'm sorry. I didn't get to read the story about the riots, but I think you get the point, man. I think uh, I think I've made it clear. So let me just wrap it up by saying enemy of the people is a strong phrase from the president. Perhaps the better way to put it is that they're useful idiots. They're part of a machine that makes money not informing you, but shocking you. And so they're going to side with the audience. They're not going to tell you what's going on in your own streets. And they're going to condemn Donald Trump because to them, the audience hates Donald Trump. Isn't that insane that these people have been wishing for death on the president? And only now social media companies are saying, OK, OK, you can't do that. That's too much. The, the, there's, there's one big problem I see in all this, and it comes to an extent from capitalism. The customer is always right. Well, when the customer for these businesses is a mix between the users who are actually being their data is being sold. So they're not necessarily the customers, but they're the users. If, if they're looking at pandering to the largest faction, then that's mob rule. And that's how this all started. Media companies, marketing companies, social media companies started pandering to the largest group. And the largest group was an uncontrollable mob of rage. And there it is. And it's only going to get worse. The news outlets are going to support the narrative because it makes them money. They want to side with the audience, and that's what they're doing. So we got to stay uh, vigilant and pay attention. But um, I guess we'll see how things play out. There's reasons to be optimistic that Trump will win and will put an end to all of this. But how do we fix the media machine that is lying to us and manipulating us? I don't have those answers. But I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all next time. Donald Trump's doctors have just given us an update on his health, and he seems to be okay, but we do have some problems here. Turns out the doctors did mislead us the other day, and there are some arguments for why they did and why they shouldn't have. We were told that Donald Trump wasn't given oxygen. It seemed like the doctor was dodging the question. Trump was given oxygen, I believe now twice. He's been treated, treated with remdesivir as well as a steroid. Donald Trump had a fever. His oxygen levels had dipped. So there is something, uh, uh, some uh, news to be concerned about. But it doesn't seem like Donald Trump was ever in any real danger other than he's sick. He has COVID. People need to calm down. The problem we're facing right now is if the doctors can't or won't give us out the correct information, then we can't trust them now. Uh, And so the best thing we can do is just wait for updates. We saw a video from the president himself where he spoke for four minutes straight, seemed to be fine, but still the left pushes out unhinged conspiracies. Now, listen, a lot of people are complaining about the doctors not giving us accurate information. 
And so I'll, I'll throw it to the press and the journalist who I was critical of the other day when they challenged the doctor saying this doesn't seem correct. They get the, uh, they were they were right on this one. The doctors didn't seem to be giving us complete information. Many people are suggesting it's because they can't legally disclose the treatments or what's going on with Donald Trump unless he gives them permission to do so. And that could mean Trump might say something about, you know, go ahead and tell him about these things. Then they're asked a specific question about, say, oxygen, and they're, I can't answer that because HIPAA laws, right? They're not allowed. So here's what I'll do. I want to read you the, the, the general update, and then I want to go through and debunk some of the, the more absurd claims that are happening right now. And just say right from, right from the get-go, everything you're going to hear now, take it with a grain of salt, until Trump is out of that hospital— don't believe what people are saying. Let the doctors do their job. The media is going to try and spin this to make money. Resistance Democrat types are going to scream the sky is falling. Yet we had one guy the other day saying Trump could go either way and they're panicking. And then Trump puts out a video where he's like, everything's great. I'm feeling fine. And ABC News reports Trump is bored. That sounds more like the Trump I know. And based on the fact that he's the president, he has the best treatment in the world. I kind of just, I think the president's fine, man. I think y'all need to, you know, be calm. I think he's doing just fine. I think he's just sick. Sometimes people get sick. It, you know, I know this is COVID, but, I, you know, if Trump got the flu, what would they say? Oh, no, what's he really hiding? Here's the story from the AP. Let's go through the immediate details that we can. They say Trump could be discharged as soon as Monday. That's right. They might even just release him tomorrow. Keeping in mind, I don't know if I can trust the doctors, and it's no, uh, I, and I'm not trying to impugn the credibility of the doctors. I'm just saying we don't know exactly what's going on. The AP reports, 11:55 a.m. President Donald Trump's team of doctors say he is doing says he is doing well after his COVID-19 diagnosis and could be discharged as early as Monday to continue his treatment. Brian Garibaldi, a specialist. Uh, Dr. Brian Garibaldi, a specialist in pulmonary, criti uh, pulmonary critical care, said Trump received a second dose of the experimental drug remdesivir, along with a first dose of dexamethasone Saturday, and isn't showing any side effects that we can tell. So my understanding is that dexamethasone is a steroid. He said Sunday that Trump is up and well, and the plan was to have him out of bed Sunday as much as possible. Garibaldi and Trump's doctor, Dr. Sean Conley, said if things continue to go well, Trump will be able to return to the White House on Monday to continue his five-day course of remdesivir treatment and other appropriate therapy. They say the president's physician says President Donald Trump was treated with a steroid after a drop in oxygen level Saturday. Dr. Sean Conley said in a news conference on Sunday that he was given a, the steroid dexamethasone while he was hospitalized at the Walter Reed Military Medical Center. Conley said the president's oxygen level had dropped down to 93% on Saturday. He says the president did not feel short of breath. He says the president's medical team is hoping Trump will be up and about out of bed and eating and drinking throughout the day. I want to point out one thing. Nobody, okay, save the doctors and the nurses. And if you have actual experience with this, most people don't know what oxygen saturation means anyway. And they don't even know what a good number would be. So again, here's what I'm going to do. I, I got to be honest. I didn't really want to do a segment just giving you the update on this, but it's really, really important. This is the president's health. And we need to break down the fake news. And the, the most important message is, just sit back, you know, go about your life and and hope, pray, wish, whatever it is you do, that uh, the president will be fine. But it really does seem like things are OK. They go on to say that uh, they're set to brief. So, so the way AP structured this is just, you know, um, by by minutes. But here's what they say. Saturday's briefing featured mixed messages as Conley painted a rosy picture of the president's health, only to see White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows later say officials were very concerned with the president's condition before he was hospitalized. 
A small group of Trump supporters gathered outside the hospital on Sunday, some waving large blue Trump flags and others holding small American flags and Trump Pence re-election signs. The song God Bless the USA played in the background, occasionally interrupted by the support of honking of car horns. As the group waved the flags and paced back and forth outside the entrance to the military installation, a much larger group had gathered Saturday night cheering for the president. Of course, there were some clashes when far leftists tried crashing the, the, the rally, I suppose. There was a bomb scare. I guess there was a backpack. It is a wild and crazy news cycle. And I'm just, I'm ready for it. I'll be over. I got to be honest, man. I'm ready. I'm ready to chill. Can we just, can we get back to watching movies and doing movie reviews and talking about Batman and stuff? So here's, here's the important update for those that may have missed the story from just last night. Trump's blood oxygen level dropped rapidly Friday, sparking health concerns, Meadows said. Apparently, Dr. Conley came out and said, and, 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 and you know, I definitely tweeted about this. He was asked, has Trump been on supplemental oxygen? And he said, you know, oh, Trump is on an oxygen right now. And what, what about ever? He was on an oxygen yesterday. Oh, no, no. Has he ever been? Turns out he was twice. And the doctor did not give us the correct information was dodging the question. The media stopping short of saying he was lying. They were saying he was misleading people. And he said it was because he wanted to, you know, keep things upbeat or he didn't want to put out information that could, you know, push things in the other direction. Well, here's a story from CNBC. They say Donald Trump's oxygen level fell rapidly Friday morning, fueling concerns about his health. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said Saturday night. In an interview with Fox News host Janine Pirro, Meadows said both he and the White House physician, Dr. Sean Conley, were real concerned by Trump's condition Friday morning. He's made unbe- he's made unbelievable improvement from yesterday morning when I know a number of us, the doctor and I were very concerned. The biggest thing that we are that we see is that with no fever now, with him doing really well, his oxygen saturation levels yesterday morning were real concerned about that. We were real concerned. He had a fever and his blood oxygen level had dropped rapidly. Now, I want, I want to point out another. OK, listen, if the president gets sick, people are going to be much more concerned than if you got sick. Yeah, you know, I hate to say it. If I got the flu, the doctor might be like, you got the flu, you'll be fine. If the president gets the flu, what I'm trying to say is there's a higher standard for safety for the president. Any degree to which he is sick and they're probably going to start getting concerned. Whereas the regular person, they're going to say, look, the consequences of your illness, you might be incapacitated for a week or two. That's fine. If Trump gets incapacitated for a week or two, especially right before the election, it can be really, really worrying. So you, you know, if Trump's oxygen level drops down, they're going to get really concerned really quickly because Trump doesn't have the luxury of just disappearing for a few weeks. So we, we see a, a, a few people are pointing out very important uh, issues that need to be talked about. Josh Wingrove says Connolly is asked why he misled Americans yesterday about Trump receiving oxygen. Quote, I was trying to reflect the upbeat attitude of the team and the president. The doctor said, I <laughs> do not agree with that. Michael Tracy, journalist, tweets, Trump's doctor, Sean Conley, outright deceived the public about whether Trump had received supplemental oxygen. Turns out he had. This isn't a partisan thing. If you're GOP, don't tell me you wouldn't be flipping out justifiably if something similar happened with Biden. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, as I stressed yesterday, okay, there are reasons why the president is not going to come out and say, yo, look, I'm really, really sick and I'm dying. The president is a symbol of this nation, and we need to convey strength. That's just the way things are. You can complain about it, fine. But we do not want a president coming out and crying and saying, my oxygen, oh, I'm so scared. I'm gonna. No, the president should always say, I'm fine. We're stronger than ever. Because we do not want our adversaries to see weakness. Okay? So I am not entirely angry 
that the doctor came out and tried to downplay things. I think the best thing we can do, as I've said now three times, is just let the doctors do their job. One of the replies to Michael Tracy made a good point. If Trump had not given consent to share this info, the doctor was in a no-win situation. We have HIPAA laws. Right. One person said he shouldn't have lied. An hour on O2 isn't a big deal and let the press run wild with stupid speculation. I disagree with this. If they came out and said Donald Trump has been placed on oxygen, the media would be like, oh, Trump's dying. Oh, it's the end of days. And uh, you get it. You get it. So here's here's another wild conspiracy. I'm loving the disinformation. So now, listen, now that we know Trump is doing OK, at least if we trust the doctors and we might not. OK, um, let's 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 debunk some of the, the, the insanity that's going around right now. Take a look at this guy. Andrew Feinberg is a verified Twitter user. He's a reporter for The Independent, and he tweeted, new, the White House has released these photos which purport to show Donald Trump at work at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Zoom, Donald Trump appears to be signing his name to a blank sheet of paper in this photo. No, he isn't. This is so insane. This is just, it's called lighting. It's like how these, these people don't know how cameras work. Jack Basobic tweeted, the blank paper conspiracy theory is being spread by the New York Times, Newsweek, and other purveyors of lunacy today. There's an image of Barack Obama signing his name to what appears to be blank pieces of paper. But the reality is you just can't see it, okay? There's a thing called lighting. You've got small little letters on this page and a flash or the lighting in the room, and it's going to adjust the lighting. So even whether it's Trump or Biden or, or Obama, I should say, we need we we need everyone to chill out on this. Now, I hope you're ready for us. this is this is this is crazy. Aaron Rupar, in one of the most ridiculous, ignorant and and irresponsible tweets, he's from vox.com says, "The difference in Trump's complexion between Tuesday left and Saturday right is jarring." Okay. Here's Donald Trump at the presidential debate. And uh you can see he's looking orange as ever, huh? Donald Trump. Yes, he's very orange. Then when we pan to the next photo, oh no. Trump is looking very pale. It's very obvious why. It's called TV makeup. What is wrong with these people? I I find this to be just absolutely insane. We need some responsibility in the media, but we don't have it. Twitter has been one of the worst things to ever happen to journalism ever. And I know I used to be on these panels, you know, back in 10 years ago where where I was like, you know, a young whippersnapper up and coming saying social media is going to change the game. The greatest tool in the toolbox of the journalist will be to put out information in real time. And woo, boy, was I wrong. You know why? These people want, they crave the suffering. They want you to freak out. They want you to panic. They want you to be like, oh, Trump's looking pale. And they won't give you the context. What is it? Factual, but not truthful. They're not telling you the truth. Oh, oh, yeah, look at this. There's Trump. And, and, and I love how he grabbed this frame from Trump giving this, you know, this, this video. And they, they took one that makes Trump look bad. Yes, I can, I can go frame by frame until I find one where Trump was looking fantastic. But come on, man. He was at a debate. They slathered him up in makeup and put him on TV. Now he's at a hospital and he's, you know, not, look, look, oh, 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 the difference. In Trump's clothing, look, he's got a lapel pin and a tie. But in this next one, he only has the he has only has the lapel pin. It's 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 irresponsible. But I I will say there is one thing I can point out that's good, and it is this right here. So a a viral conspiracy theory has been completely removed, and they suspended the user. Now I say it's good in terms of at least some people are getting taken taken off for their conspiracy theories. Because conspiracy theories are bad, but it is in the long run very, very bad. There was an individual who tweeted, 
they believe Donald Trump had an oxygen tank on as he was leaving the White House. And if you see right here where I'm pointing at, there's a piece of hair on the back of Trump's head that overlaps his collar. Well, they took a photo of a TV screen and zoomed in. It looked really crummy and low res. You couldn't tell. And then they drew a line next to it, implying that this hair was an oxygen tube and that the crease in his jacket was secretly an oxygen tube. And there's an oxygen tank in his pocket. And geez, man. But it went viral and it got like 11,000, 12,000 retweets or something like that before Twitter took it down. I think it's good that we're, 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 you know, we're stopping the conspiracy theories, but I think in the long run, it's really, really bad they did this. They're leaving up the fringe far left conspiracy theory theories from the media. This is nightmarish. These journalists have no accountability and they are publishing all of this insane garbage and getting away with it. Then you have a random user who says, Hey, look what I see. I think this is a thing. And they suspend the regular person. I'm not okay with that. Because some of these people are absolutely insane. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you John Cooper. I don't want to be alarmist, but a GOP source just told me this, quote, Trump's condition is serious. He can go either way. Despite all the meds and the presidential care, they could lose him within three to four days. They're trying to make his condition look good to reassure his base. Oh, oh. And then, and then here's the best part. I have no way to confirm this report. But I felt that I should pass it along. This GOP source has proven reliable multiple times in the past. Here's the first response. Dude, stop. Everyone knows you're just making this up. Yes. My response to this guy was, no, he didn't. There's no GOP source saying Trump could go either way. That is that is ridiculous. And this guy, verified Twitter user, Team Joe, formerly chair of the Dem Coalition, National finance chair for draft Biden 2016, Long Island campaign chair for Barack Obama, views equal mind, 600,000 followers. This is what is allowed to flourish on Twitter by the likes of Jack Dorsey. This is what is allowed to, to flourish on social media by the likes of all of these social media networks. The left with their insane man- garbled garbage conspiracy theories, they're given a free pass. Heaven forbid if you're right wing in any capacity. I just, I don't know what to tell you, man. This is what seems to be, make the most sense. John Santucci tweeted just the other day. Uh, so just last night, sources tell ABC President Trump spent the afternoon on the phone speaking to aides, getting some work done. One source who spent time with the president this afternoon said they are encouraging the 45th president to rest and added he continues to be monitored closely with Kay Falders. Sources tell ABC News Friday was scary adding they were concerned about the president. Trump himself, according to sources, wanted to bring in a camera today to share how he was doing. Sources describe Trump as bored and really wanting to leave the hospital. That sounds absolutely correct to me. That's it. Trump is bored and he's in the hospital and he's probably not doing all that, uh, all that poorly. He's probably doing very, very well. Make sure I'm very clear on this. But then we have this story. I love it from the mirror. Donald Trump trying to look strong, but has been softened by coronavirus, says body language expert. I recall in a documentary by a man named Mike Cernovich, it's called Hoaxed. There's this really great interview where he's talking to uh, uh, Scott Pelley of 60 Minutes, I believe. And Scott says to Mike, you've put out fake news claiming Hillary Clinton was sick. And Mike says, Why, how is it fake news? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, too, because you, you should watch it to see the full exchange. But uh, he says, 
Well, we, we know Hillary Clinton wasn't sick. Her doctor said so. And he said, why would you trust her doctor? And then Scott Pelley actually drops his glasses like, yeah, why would you just trust the doctor? So when you get these videos online where the like body language expert says Hillary Clinton is sick, they say, oh, these conspiracies from body language experts. Then they go and do it to Trump and nobody cares. Now it's all normal. In 2016, we had them try and claim Trump was sick, but Trump is a sick. He's, he's, he's a spry old man. And they're uh, they're trying to do the same exact thing to him now, when in reality, you just don't know. I, I got to say, I'm getting uh, I'm, I'm getting close to reaching my wits end on all this stuff. Seriously, you know, what's important right now. And I and I and I, and I wish I, I probably should have done a segment on this instead, is that the the uh, NFAC coalition, so black militia, accidentally discharged again. And then like people run in and the cops make arrests. We got a poll coming out showing that both factions feel they're justified, like Republicans and Democrats feel they're justified in using violence. If things go crazy, that's the important stuff. Instead, I have to deal with trying to debunk and calm people down because the media just pumps out fake news nonstop. So this morning, I, I, I saw this stuff about Trump and I was like, I'm not going to play this. I got to talk about these riots, man, because they're normalizing all of this stuff. Instead, we don't have the, uh, the fourth estate, I suppose. Is that what it is? The, the, the journalist class? They're supposed to, they're supposed to help us understand the world. They're not doing that now. They're tweeting unhinged conspiracies. Uh, uh, well, this guy works for, uh, um, John Cooper, he works for the Democrats, but we're, we're getting just ridiculous unhinged conspiracies from a guy who works for the independent Trump signing a blank piece of paper or, uh, uh, Aaron, where's the Aaron Rupar one? Uh, I lost it. There we go. Then you get Vox.com saying Trump's complexion. Oh no, what's happening? Everybody's screaming. They're citing unnamed sources because they want the headline. They want it. They want to get as close as possible to the most negative story ever to scare you, to cause you to panic so they can make money off of you. The riots aren't panicking anybody anymore. Isn't that messed up? Think about that for two seconds. We have ongoing riots now, 129 days in, in, in Seattle the other day. They're throwing bricks through windows or rocks or whatever. They're setting fires. They're attacking cops. They're throwing explosives at police. And, the, and these media, they, they decided, well, you know, that's not shocking anymore. We get it. The far left has run rampant. Joe Biden says it's just an idea. Now we have a sick president. And that's about it. Don't really know all that much. I guess we'll cross our fingers and we'll we'll hope uh, that it for the best. And the media runs away full speed from the violence and the riots to give us conjecture and conspiracy about the president's health. To tell us that his complexion looks terrible and that he's not even signing real papers. What's happening? They even tried spreading a conspiracy that he wasn't really in Walter Reed Hospital because people were sharing around this photo from 2007 of the presidential suite at the Walter Reed Medical Center, which apparently doesn't exist anymore. It was like taken down in 2011. And so they're like, look behind Trumpet's cabinets. That's not what the, the, the presidential suite looks like. He's not even in the hospital. So we're getting a mix of Trump's not really in the hospital. Trump actually is dying. Instead of them shutting up and saying, last night in Seattle, Four people were arrested after explosive devices were thrown at police. I think it was four. I don't know for sure. But you get the point. I'm just uh, I'm reaching my wits end. I got to be honest, because as I as I look to these stories that I think are really important that we talk about, the news cycle is being yanked in the in the in a crazy direction. But I'll tell you this. 
I'm only ever going to talk about what I think is important. And for the time being, I was torn between the riots and, you know, Trump's health. And that's why I opted. We got a major update on Trump's health. His doctors were not giving us correct information yesterday for potentially a variety of reasons. But uh, the health of the president is extremely important. The problem that I'm, the thing I'm complaining about is following it up with all this stupidity about the media lying and trying to cause a panic. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. My, my, uh, I wish for the, uh, the best for everyone who, who, who is sick right now with COVID, the president, his family, uh, other Republicans. And we'll just uh, cross our fingers and hope everything goes well. I'll leave it there. Next segment is coming up at 1 p.m. on this. I'm sorry. At 4 p.m. over at YouTube.com slash Timcast is my other channel. And I will see you all then. Unhinged conspiracy theories are flying across the Internet. And this one right here really is my favorite. Oh, it's just so good. You see, they want Donald Trump to be very, very sick. Now, BuzzFeed has an article where they suggest there's actually a decent reason to believe Trump may be worse off than we all realize. And I think it's important to note that Donald Trump does need to keep up appearances. So if he is really sick, then he's not going to come out and tell us. And he wants to make it seem like he's fine because we have foreign adversaries. The world is not this magical place of candy cane, Skittles and rainbows. There's actually war and conflict. So it's important Trump looks healthy. But outside of BuzzFeed's speculation, which it is, we get the crazy of the crazy of the crazy. I love it. Take a look at this tweet from Daniel Newman. So Trump staged a fake photo shoot to look healthy with a wardrobe and set change and all 10 minutes apart. Sounds about right. Now, when I first saw this, I was like, I can't tell if he's sarcastically insulting the guy with the conspiracy theory or if he's like in on the conspiracy theory. So I had to check. And yeah, this guy seems to be anti-Trump. So uh, you're going to love this one. How many of you have ever used Photoshop? How many of you have ever used, I don't know, Adobe Premiere? How many of you have ever done any kind of file exporting for media? If you haven't, let me explain why these people are insane. John Ostrower, verified Twitter user and editor-in-chief of The Air Current, with 90,000 followers, tweets, The photos released by the White House tonight of the president working at Walter Reed were taken 10 minutes apart at 5.25.59 p.m. and 5.35.40 p.m. ET Saturday. According to the EXIF data embedded in both AP wire postings that were shared by the White House that this evening. Okay. <laughs> How many of you already caught what this really means? Let me just stop and explain to you. Based on this conspiracy theory that Donald Trump first, let's say this. If Donald Trump was able to get up from one set, change his clothes, and in 10 minutes be on at the table working again. The dude seems pretty healthy, doesn't he? Yeah. Anybody who can pull that off in 10 minutes, they're probably not too sick. But the reality is, it's just, oh, it's so good. First, let me show you this. He posted a screenshot, virus outbreak, outbreak Trump, and they say 5.35, p.m. But you'll also notice here in the info on the photo, it says military medical center in Bethesda, Maryland, Saturday, October 3rd, 2020. After testing positive for COVID-19, Joyce and Bogosian, the White House via AP. Okay, then we'll go to the next photo. There's Donald Trump working again. This time he's wearing a jacket. And he's in a different place. And once again, we can see 529.59 p.m. And there's that there's that little paragraph. Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland, Saturday, October 3rd. After testing positive. Imagine that. This guy actually believes that when you take a photograph, the camera knows who you are. 
because it has her name in the EXIF data and it knows where you are and who you're taking a picture of. You want to know what this really is? It is the photographer for the AP filing their photos and adding the data and then exporting it because they're not taking a picture, taking a raw file and just sending it out. They have to file, which includes editing. In all likelihood, these photos were taken throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, the photographer loaded them onto her computer and she went in and said, here's the data and pasted it all in the EXIF data. And that's it. Man, I love this stuff, huh? Why is it so? Now, now look, okay, maybe it's possible that they did do this rushed, weird conspiracy thing. But the dude really should have just, I don't know, asked someone. These journalists don't do any work at all. None. None whatsoever. It's incredible. The, like, the, 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 the no work. No Google search. So I make, I, I, I do a, a video rendering and photo rendering every single day. I make graphics and I make videos. And so just to make sure, I went in and took a photograph and then compressed it to a new format. And sure enough, the EXIF data said I just took the photo. That's crazy. The photo was probably taken on some very nice DSLR and it came out in some kind of raw format and needed to be compressed. Many of these photos are like ridiculously large, like 30 to 40 megapixels. That's massive. And so it was probably a very, very large file and was compressed down to a high res but compressed version. Thus, the rendering gives it a different time. This has been my lesson on how you create files using the Adobe suite. Thanks for hanging out. But let's talk about in all seriousness. Is Trump really sick? BuzzFeed actually has an interesting article. I think it's worth reading. Trump's doctor revealed he's on a steroid recommended for severe COVID-19. Dr. Sean Conley continued to give conflicting information and evasive answers on the president's health in a briefing on Sunday. They mention in this briefing that Trump was getting dexamethasone, I think it's called. And they say that according to the World Health Organization and the CDC, I believe it may be the CDC, that they only recommend it for severe cases because it suppresses your immune system and you don't want that in the early stages. Well, let's read. They say, President Donald Trump's doctor, delivering a second evasive press conference on the president's health in two days, said Sunday that Trump has been treated with a steroid after his oxygen levels dropped twice since he was diagnosed with COVID. That new information suggests that the president's condition is more severe than previously disclosed, despite the rosy picture painted by his medical team, who still suggested that Trump could be discharged as soon as Monday. Both of those pieces of data tell us you cannot call this a mild disease. Bob Wachter, chair of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, told BuzzFeed News. Conley insisted Sunday the president had continued to improve, blah, blah, blah. They go on to say, Trump received his first dose of dexamethasone on Saturday, and his medical team said the plan is to continue with the treatment for the time being. Dexamethasone is a corticosteroid that suppresses the immune system helpful in the later stages of severe COVID-19 when that system can go into overdrive and attack the lungs, but potentially harmful in earlier stages when the immune response is needed. In June, a major UK trial found that a daily dose of dexamethasone for up to 10 days reduces deaths by up by one third in patients on ventilators and one fifth in patients only receiving supplemental oxygen. The World Health Organization recommends the use of corticosteroids on patients with severe and critical COVID-19 and explicitly specifies that it should be avoided for cases that are not severe, as it has shown no benefits could even prove harmful for those less ill patients. The U.S. National Institutes of Health 
has similar guidelines. Look, Donald Trump has released a four minute video talking and now they're claiming they're editing it because Trump was coughing. (laughs) It's just so nuts, man. I don't understand why these blue check journalists are allowed to put out unhinged conspiracy theories, but like, right, everyone else isn't. You know what I mean? I'm verified on Twitter, okay? If I posted an unhinged conspiracy theory, I'd probably get flagged and in trouble on Twitter. But these blue checks, they're allowed to do whatever they want. Conley also confirmed reports that the president had been given two liters of supplemental oxygen on Friday after he had a high fever and his oxygen level had dipped below 94%. He would not specify what the president's oxygen levels were. Well, let me bring you to this next tweet from Jeremy Faust, MD, MS, ER physician, health and policy, public health for Brigham Women's and Harvard Medical. Editor Brief 19, he says, Conley said low-grade fever before. Now he says high fever. He said no oxygen was given Friday. Today he says he did need oxygen on Friday. His oxygen was below 94, but higher than low 80s. Triangulating through the lies, moderate to severe COVID-19 is the implication. I think it's a fair take. I really do. I think the president needs to make sure people think he's strong. I think this guy is a doctor. He's verified at least. I'm going to assume he's a doctor. But it's a look, it's true. Conley was giving us bunk information. He was trying to maintain appearances. He said he was trying to maintain, you know, keep, uh, stay upbeat. And I can respect that. I can also respect that the president can't, you know, um, he's not going to release all of his medical record, medical records. He, ha- he has his privacy to continue uh, to consider and that he has the security of the nation to consider as well. I think Trump's probably look, the truth is always closer to the middle, moderate to severe COVID. I'd probably lean towards moderate. Severe, I think, is a bit too much. Okay, you've got these conspiracy theorists claiming Trump isn't working. Trump is probably working. He's probably working just fine. But Trump is probably feeling sick. He's probably not dying. He's not on his deathbed. He's not going to go the other go either way, as some have suggested. It's probably the doctors trying to maintain appearances to prevent a panic. And I'll tell you this, man, I feel bad for Conley. I would not take that job. I don't know, dude. You got to be brave, bold and confident to be a doctor for a president, because think about it. If you come out and say the wrong thing, you spark a panic. What if you make a mistake and the president dies and it's your fault? I mean, that's going to make people really hate you. Remember that like way back when, when uh, uh, at the Cubs game, this is like 20 years ago, almost 17 years ago, the, the guy leaned over to catch the, the ball, assuming it was a foul ball, but it was in play. And then Moises Alou almost grabbed it, but he missed because the fan grabbed it. And then everyone wanted to kill the fan. <laughs> that was just baseball. Imagine if you're the doctor treating the president and the president, you know, dies. Yikes. You're gonna have to live in hiding for the rest of your life. So anyway, I'm, I'm empathizing with this doctor who's desperately trying to be like, everything's okay. Like, please don't get mad at me. And then you got all these conspiracy theorists that no matter what the doctors say, they're going to claim the world is ending. All right, man. Let's just all remain calm. Let's be chill about it. We'll see how things play out. Wish for the best. And what else can we really do? These people need to chill out. The conspiracy theories need to stop. And that's it. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in just a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. With utmost perfect timing for the election, a migrant caravan is currently on its way. And the speculation, of course, is that it's a grand conspiracy that someone's sending the migrants to help Donald Trump. Come on. I'm just tired of all this. People live in crazy, paranoid realities where there's like, uh, listen, maybe we're in a simulation. 
That's the only explanation. But if you think there's a grand cabal of international cohorts that are like, and now we will send migrants <laughs> and that will help Trump. Meanwhile, they hate Trump and there's also a conspiracy against them. I'm just done with y'all, man. And no, as another migrant caravan heads towards the United States, skeptics ask, why now? From the LA Times. My response to skeptics is shut your mouth. Okay, migrants have been coming here endlessly. It's not just right now. Of course, there's probably a caravan coming right now. Why? It's getting colder. These people are insane, man. No, it's Trump. He's organizing these. What's stupid? What a stupid reality. As a new caravan of about 2000 Honduran migrants pushed north through Central America toward the US this week, people throughout the region were asking, why now? Some political analysts and government leaders are suspicious of the caravan's timing a month before the U.S. presidential vote. Yes, every single one of these people all got together and they were like, so we're all in agreement that we want Donald Trump to win. Aye. Okay, everybody form a caravan. Let's start marching. Is that what they think? Or do they think it's the human rights NGOs? Do you know these lefties who go down and give out money to the migrants and encourage them to come to the U.S.? Do they work for Trump? Okay, so we're all environmentalist, hippie, humanitarian leftists. We're all in favor of helping Trump win. Aye. Okay, let's go. It's just so stupid. Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador said Friday that there might be political motives behind the new caravan, though he acknowledged he did not have all the elements to support that belief. It's a matter that I believe is linked to the U.S. election, Lopez Obrador told journalists at his daily news conference. It is very weird, very strange. The caravan set out on the eve of the vote. No, it's a month before. God, you know what, man? It's just, you can't reason with these people. Many people are openly toying with opinions about the caravan, including an academic who questioned whether Honduras's ruling party might have played a role in organizing the caravan and members of the Honduran government who have, who have blamed diverse forces, including liberal nonprofits, criminal groups and the billionaire philanthropist George Soros. That's right, because we all know George Soros is actually helping Trump win. That's the that's the real conspiracy. <gasps> what if George Soros is actually funding the left to actually make the left look bad so that Trump wins? Sh just stop. <laughs> I got to admit, it's funny, though, right? There's no public evidence that the latest caravan or any any earlier iterations were organized by people or groups trying to influence U.S. elections. Several migrants said speculation about their timing or motives distracts from the reasons they are fleeing uh, Honduras. Entrenched poverty, endemic violence, and overt government corruption, all of which have grown worse during the COVID-19 pandemic. This isn't a political movement, and we don't care about the elections in any other country, said a caravan member named Ariel, who is an administrator of the WhatsApp group in which migrants have organized themselves. We're dying of hunger and are just looking for a country that can offer us life with dignity. Let me just give you like a really simple reason they formed a caravan. For one, safety. As it gets colder and we move into the fall, it's important that people band together for safety. That's why they did it the last time. It also could be that we're coming out of like harvest season and there's concerns about food shortages. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons to suggest they would leave Honduras. Honduras, of course, is... um it's it's warm, right? I'm talking about as they start moving north, there's going to be concerns about maybe people start stockpiling food. I don't know. I'm just speculating, okay? Maybe they're thinking now's our last chance to go before the winter. Because as we start making our way to, to the US, we're going to be homeless in the winter in North America if we get in. So we all need to go now. Otherwise, it'll be too late. That's the point. That's just one speculation. 
On Thursday, members of the latest caravan maneuvered past immigration officials to enter Guatemala before beginning the several day trek toward the Mexican border. Ariel, a 26 year old who asked who asked to be identified only by his first name because he fears retribution from authorities back home, said he decided to join the caravan because he was kidnapped for ransom five months ago by police. He said he learned about the caravan forming on social media. As for its timing of the caravan, he said migrants left this week because until a few weeks ago, the country's borders were closed as a coronavirus precaution. Just days after Honduras confirmed its first cases of COVID-19 on March 10th, President Juan Orlando Hernandez ordered a near complete lockdown of the country, closing its borders and issuing a curfew that required people to stay in their homes except for a few hours each week. Those swift actions may have spared Honduras from a mass outbreak. The nation has seen just over 2,380 coronavirus deaths, according to data compiled by Johns Hopkins University. But human, human rights advocates say officials in Honduras have used the curfew to justify a military crackdown. And more than 63,000 people have been arrested for breaking curfew in recent months, including journalists and activists. Ah, there could be another reason why they're leaving. They're all leaving now. The COVID death rate has dropped significantly and the case rate is going down as well. Maybe they think now it's safe. Maybe that was it. Maybe because of COVID lockdown, people couldn't actually organize anything. And then once we started seeing lockdowns be lifted, uh, lockdowns, lockdowns get lifted like they are in the United States, then we started seeing activists start organizing again. I just I think there's a million and one reasons why something like this would happen. And the, and the simple reason is people want to be in America. It's that it, 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 you know what you know, the problem is, you know, the real actually the simple solution to all of this is Trump was right. That's it. Trump was right. The, the, ma- the caravans aren't going to stop. They want to come to the U.S. Occam's razor suggests the simple solution tends to be the correct one. We've seen migrant caravans before. We're going to see them again, and we're seeing one now. The simple solution is Trump called it out, said we need better security, and he was right about it. But heaven forbid the media actually say the president was right and the caravans will continue. They are. So the only thing they can say is, well, Trump can't be right. That's impossible. He's always wrong. Then it must be a conspiracy. Yep. Many businesses have closed. Hunger is widespread and evictions have spiked, forcing families into the streets. Hernandez, who several years ago admitted that his campaign had been funded in part by millions of dollars stolen from the country's Social Security Institute, and who was recently named by U.S. prosecutors as a co-conspirator in a drug trafficking case against his younger brother. What? Has been linked to another corruption scandal. A recent government audit of the Honduran agency tasked with procuring medical supplies to fight the coronavirus found tens of millions of dollars wasted. Where's the money? Read large banners that have sprung up across the country in recent months. Migrants have been leaving the country in large groups since at least 2017, inspired in part by annual stations of the cross processions in Mexico, where activists marched during Lent to bring attention to the country's harsh immigration enforcement. They say that that there is safety in numbers and that traveling together means they don't have to pay smugglers for protection. The caravans didn't capture widespread use attention until 2018, when Trump began frequently tweeting about them, saying they proved the U.S. needed to build a border wall when a group of 7,000 mostly Central American migrants headed north shortly before the midterm elections. Trump seized on the issue and sent soldiers to the border. And that's, to me, what's really funny about all of this. The migrant caravans were happening before Trump brought it up. Nobody cared. They weren't paying attention. Trump finally said, do you see what's happening here? And they went, oh, Trump's crazy. Trump's fanning the flames. It must be George Soros. Okay, that's ridiculous. I, I, for, for, I don't care if you're left or right. That's ridiculous. Many of the migrants in that caravan ended up stranded in Tijuana, 
and other border cities after the Trump administration issued a rule requiring asylum seekers to wait in Mexico for their immigration court cases in the U.S. Some headed back to Honduras, while others built lives in Mexico. It is unclear whether the current caravan will make it into Mexico. Guatemala President Alejandro Giamate said in a video address Thursday, the migrants who are apprehended will be deported. The order has been given to detain all those who entered illegally and return them to the border of their country. Giamate said, we will not allow any foreigner who has used illegal methods to enter our enter the country to think that they have the right to come and infect us and put us at serious risk. While Lopez Obrador said Mexicans do not want confrontation, his immigration agency released a statement Thursday saying the, the migrants represent a health risk and warned that any foreigner who threatened public health could be imprisoned. And this is the most important part. We absolutely must not allow these people to come to the U.S. I know maybe it sounds cold and callous, but we are in a pandemic. Okay, we are locking down certain jurisdictions. The president himself is sick. Take it seriously. And every Trump supporter right now should be saying it is time to take this very seriously. Trump already closed the borders before. We cannot allow migrants to come into this country while we are facing a pandemic. In fact, this all started to die down a bit because of the pandemic. That's one of the reasons people said the migrant caravans were slowing down. The border was closed. People weren't coming. You're not getting in. We cannot allow this. Mexico and, and Guatemala can't either. We need to make sure the virus is done with. Now, I don't necessarily think the lockdowns that we see economically will solve that problem, but I think it makes sense to have uh, closed borders because we can't contact trace properly, assuming we're going to. You get a bunch of random people coming in this country. It could mean widespread infections and a resurgence of COVID. The left better come out and start calling this out. Otherwise, I'm just going to say straight up hypocrisy. It, uh, it's, main, it's Mania Platero, a migrant activist in Honduras, said the January caravan was proof that the caravans are not connected to U.S. politics, although she acknowledged that there are interest groups that try to take advantage of them. People on all sides use them, she said of migrants. These poor people have become cannon fodder. Yep. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it right now. We, we can't allow these people to come. We cannot, we cannot. With the utmost empathy and sympathy for their, for their, for their circumstances, recognizing this country is amazing. Sorry, man, we got a medical crisis, 100%. People should not be using them for any political advantage or whatever, but I'm sorry, man. We're in a pandemic. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. While unhinged conspiracy theories continue to spread about the internet, here in the real world, we still get a bit of shock and kind of dark humor in the sense accidental shots fired at downtown Lafayette protests. Now, nobody was hurt. That was important. That's why I say dark humor. But it is still <laughs> worrying that we're reaching this level of just pure insanity. The NFAC, the not effing around coalition. They've been calling for like a black ethno state or something to that effect. And they've been marching around armed and for the second time have accidentally discharged their weapons. Great. But this isn't the big story. It's just something that I wanted to highlight because it shows you the danger of a bunch of untrained political zealots walking around. And listen, I'm not going to tell them they can't do it. Yes, you got a Second Amendment right. You go do what you're allowed to do. That's fine. But right now we have this poll. And this is coming out of Politico that says 
Americans increasingly believe violence is justified if the other side wins. Our research detected an uptick in recent months in the share of Americans willing to condone political unrest. So while I want to highlight this one story, it's very simple. No one was hit. No injuries reported. 26-year-old Terrence Jones of Lafayette has been charged with reckless discharge of a firearm at a parade or demonstration. Three counts possession of a firearm. One count simple escape, illegal use of weapons, blah, blah, blah. Take a person like this and the NFAC. Drop them in major civil unrest where they believe their use of force and violence is justified. And then wait and see what happens. And it's not going to be fun. Not at all. It's partly why I uh, left the big cities and now I'm kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Mountains before me. I was actually talking to a local who I would have assumed would have been more left leaning. But, you know, the people out here are not happy with the riots. And, they, uh, you know, I was talking to one dude. He said, we all are sitting here watching what's going on in these cities with the violence and the chaos. And then we just like laugh like that's why we don't want to be there. You're out in the middle of nowhere. You're safer. And these people out here, they don't want conflict. It reminds me of this natural component of, of evolution where we find the, 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 the lower the number of dimensions an animal moves in, then the more violent they become. For instance, if you take a badger, which burrows into a hole and then it's trapped in that hole, these things are vicious. Now, they're crazy, right? Because they had to. They evolved this way. You can't run away. So the creatures that burrow and then don't fight die. What about birds? Birds tend not to fight because birds can just leave. When fleeing is an option, the more uh, uh, life tends to take the option because it's less energy intensive, less risky. Out in the middle of nowhere, you got more options for fleeing than you do in the city. So it's less risky. People prefer to be out here. And in the long run, I think the people who live out here are more likely to get by just fine and stay safe. Here's a story from Politico. They say, like a growing number of prominent American leaders and scholars, we are increasingly anxious that this country is headed toward the worst post-election crisis in a century and a half. Our biggest concern is that a disputed presidential election, especially if there are close contests in a few swing states, or if one candidate denounces the legit legitimacy of the process, could generate violence and bloodshed. Unfortunately, we're not being alarmist about the potential for violence. Trends in public opinion that we've been tracking provide strong grounds for concern. Our research, which we're reporting here for the first time, shows an upswing in the past few months in the number of Americans, both Democrats and Republicans, who said they think violence would be justified if their side loses the upcoming presidential election. Seriously, if they lose, both sides feel it. The growing acceptance of this possibility of violence is a bipartisan movement. Our data shows the willingness of Democrats and Republicans alike to justify violence as a way to achieve political goals has essentially been rising in lockstep. All of us have been involved separately and eventually together in surveying and researching Americans' political attitudes and engagement. Late last year, we noticed an uptick in the number of respondents saying they would condone violence by their own political party. And we decided to combine our data sets to get as much information as possible on this worrisome trend. We were also monitoring another question. Would you condone violence if the other party's candidate wins the presidential election? While the pool of respondents between our data sets is slightly different, our questions have had the same wording. Here's what we found. A growing openness to political violence. On November 2017, only 8%. On October 18, 13% of Democrats, 11 of Republicans. 
Democrats have consistently endorsed violence over Republicans until 2020. Uh, on uh, June 1st, 2020, 30% of both Democrat and Republican supported violence. And now, as of September, Republicans at 36, Democrats at 33. And I'll tell you why. It's actually really simple. Antifa. Antifa has continually engaged in violence and Republicans have done nothing. Now the right is straight up saying, you know what? We must strike back. If the violence erupts, we'll see how things play out. Among Americans who identify as Democrat or Republican, one in three now believe that violence could be justified, could be, to advance their party's political goals, a substantial increase of the last years. In September, 44% of Republicans and 41% of Democrats said there would be at least a little justification for violence if the other party's nominee wins the election. Those figures are both up from June, when 35% of Republicans and 37% of Democrats expressed the same sentiment. Similarly, 36% of Republicans and 33% of Democrats said it's at least a little justified for their side to use violence in advance in advancing political goals, up from 30% of both Republicans and Democrats in June. There has been an even larger increase in the share of both Democrats and Republicans who believe there would be either a lot or a great deal of justification for violence if their party were to lose in November. The share of Republicans seeing substantial justification for violence if their side loses jumped from 15% in June to 20% in September, while the share of Democrats jumped from 16 to 19. These numbers are even higher among the most ideological partisans. Of Democrats who identify as very liberal, 26% said there would be a great deal of justification for violence if their candidate loses the presidency, compared to 7% of those identifying as simply liberal. Of Republicans who identify as very conservative, 16% said they believe there would be a great deal. And they go on to mention that only 7% of those who identify as conservative. This means the ideological extremes of each party are two to four times more apt to see violence as justified than their party's mainstream members. Yet who takes the lead? Why, by 10 points, it's the far left. There are that there is almost what is it? Which I don't want to say double, but maybe like 70 to 80 percent more among the far left who are willing to justify violence than very conservatives. What does that mean? It's what I've been saying. The far left is off the rails. And this and this could lead to very serious violence, where if the far left continues the rioting and the destruction and, and kicks it up a notch to to murdering like they already have in Portland. What do you think the right is going to do? Is the right going to sit back and allow it? Probably not. But the worrying thing I have, I can say for the right is that you don't own communications. The left does. Communications infrastructure is owned by the left. Now, some people have pointed out to me, Tim, you don't realize there are militia groups that have been training for this kind of stuff and they have communications and they could use ham radio anyway, in which case, yeah. How seriously should we take these expressions of violence? Both history and social psychology warn us to take them very seriously. In Europe in the 1920s and 1930s, a rising tide of armed street mobilization and of violent clashes between rival partisans ravaged fragile democratic cultures, bullied and marginalized moderate, for uh, moderate forces, and gave rising autocrats an excuse to seize emergency powers. Some of us who've studied the rise of authoritarians see strong parallels between that period of European history and factors at work in America today. And so I have said now for nearly three years, Antifa will give rise to the far right. Yep. You see, as the chaos unfolds across these cities, 
I believe it's very it's very likely that many regular people are now going to vote for Trump. Of course, the polling says Trump is going to lose. OK, we'll see. Seriously, maybe he'll lose. I, I can't imagine this. You know, you've got Antifa running around burning things down and destroying lives. People are going to beg for law and order and they're going to get it. Donald Trump will give it to them. We've already seen the feds deputize police in Oregon. That's an expansion of federal authority. The locals are freaking out, but the locals haven't done anything to stop the violence. In which case, I can only assume we are much more likely to see Donald Trump win. Donald Trump invoke some kind of powers, maybe not necessarily the Insurrection Act, shut down the rioting. Donald Trump might win. There'll be a disputed election. The violence will get extremely bad. 52% of people are prepping because of COVID and because of uh, unrest. Are you? Now, I've warned about all of this stuff for years. And there are a lot of people who make fun of me for it, but I'll tell you what, man. I got these food bin things that I pitched before to people. And a lot of people laughed and said, ah, Tim's selling emergency food. Yeah, I am. Yeah, absolutely. You know why? Because I've already cracked open a bin and it's like hamburger helper. You know, it's like you got mac and cheese, you pour it in a thing of water, you stir it, boom, mac and cheese. That easy. It's like any regular food you'd buy from the store, but it's sealed in, a, in, in pouches that keep it fresh. So while all of you are laughing and dancing around like the silly grasshopper, us little ants will be packing away for the winter. And then should winter come, don't come and knock it on my door because y'all ain't going to get anything from me. You can take it, take care of yourself. And I hope you're paying attention. More and more stories are coming out and telling us this. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out. And I'll see you all next time.